0: For an entire generation, people have experienced Star Wars the only way it's been possible, on the TV screen. But if you've only seen it this way, you haven't seen it at all. Now, for its 20th anniversary, the adventure of a lifetime returns to the big screen. In a way you've never seen before. There'll be no one to stop us this time
1: me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're
0: my only hope. With newly enhanced visual effects. They're
1: coming in too fast!
0: THX and digital science. And a few new surprises. Hanabuki Balbunyanda On President's Day weekend, 1997 Good luck. George Lucas and 20th Century Fox invite you to welcome back Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2. Finally, the motion picture event the way it was meant to be experienced. This will be a day long remembered. As the entire Star Wars trilogy returns. On February 14th, Star Wars, followed soon after by The Empire Strikes Back, and then Return of the Jedi. Move closer For a whole new generation Who have yet to experience it on the big screen And for everyone else To experience it again That boy is our last hope No, there is another The Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition See it again for the first time. The Force will be with you, always.
2: Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 452, special edition 25th anniversary. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me... The Jabba the Hutt, to my Greedo, we've got Carl
1: LeClaire. Oh, am I uh, really bad CGI Java, or am I Return of the Jedi Java? Uh,
2: well, it's special edition, so
1: really (laughs) bad CGI Java. (laughs) Fair enough. I'll take it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Jason, I am so flippin' thrilled to be talking about the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition... Uh it turns 25 years old on January 31st so just a couple weeks from our recording uh when a new hope was released and uh I you know I'm this is like this was such a huge monumental event for Star Wars and especially for both you and I being that we were relatively new fans this was your first ever experience of seeing Star Wars and yes. whereas I'd had about two years of living with the original cuts before seeing this. Um, so kind of what we want to get into is, you know, where, where did this all come from? Why did George choose to do a special edition? Uh, you know, what were the, some of the big things that stood out from these changes um, and kind of just looking at what was the legacy of this event? You know, it's, it's crazy to think Jason. So like this, the 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 linchpin for why George chose to do the special editions was he wanted to do something to celebrate the twentieth anniversary of A New Hope, right in nineteen ninety seven, which is crazy to think that it's now been twenty five years since then. So A New Hope's going to be forty five this year. That's just wild. Um, it, yeah, that's nuts. I just uh, we are further
2: away from the special edition than when you know. <laughs> Than the anniversary that the special edition was supposed to be celebrating. That's <laughs> that's crazy to think about.
1: Yeah, um, I just like, I mean, mid to late '90s was such a exciting time in my young little life because I was getting into Star Wars, and the special editions took Star Wars, and, I I, I maybe this word is too strong, but kind of made it relevant again to pop culture. Um, and I think that that is actually accurate because there were Star Wars fans still from the the original trilogy for sure. But it kind of like surged back into like popular culture in 97 because of um, because of these special editions.
2: Yeah, yeah, it definitely you know, relevant. Um, definitely a, sort of a, a reintroduction, a reawakening. Um but yeah, it, it it was one of those things that just sort of like it came at just the right time too. Yeah. Like it, it it was the build up to the prequels. We all knew that this was supposed to kind of help get the prequels going. Um I mean, I knew later on cuz <laughs> I was not thinking yeah. about that at the time right. at 8. Um but <laughs> You know, it, it, it was one of those things where it was supposed to see, hey, is it good? It, are we are we friends with Star Wars again? And there was enough distance between, you know, the originals uh, and the special editions where some of those people who were introduced to it back in the 70s and 80s had kids of their own that they were taking now. Yeah. Um, I know that's the case with my mom and me. And so it really did reinvigorate, reintroduce. um the the saga you know for old fans and new fans and uh, the late 90s in star wars is an almost unforgettable time that's almost insurmountable in my opinion
1: so <laughs> yeah i mean i'm kind of in agreement because of again where you and i were in our early days of fandom um and you know it, this is this is always a conversation where i would always i'm always curious like what what somebody who grew up with the originals like how they how they reacted to the special editions in 97 Um, but I have some sense uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of that also on the episode because um, from my later in life experience you really saw a very vitriol controversy controversy arise in Star Wars fandom because of some of the decisions of the special editions um, so we'll we'll hit on that a little bit too because it's just it just it's sad to say that even in 25 years ago that the, the annoying crap that happens all the time today was happening then too, <laughs> so um, they just didn't have as much of a platform as as today. But but before we get into all of all of the meat of this, I want to just start by playing a quick clip from the, the creator himself. And this is George reflecting years later. So this was this an interview he gave in, I believe, 2005 or 2006. But he was talking about why he chose to do the special editions.
3: Well, I guess there's a saying among directors that a film is never finished, it's just abandoned. And for other directors, it's the film is never finished, they just finally take it away from you at some point. But no matter how the story goes... The director is usually left frustrated and not feeling that he's been able to complete his vision or it's been altered one way or another. And um, so later on I had the opportunity uh, when uh, we were thinking about reissuing the films for the 20th anniversary of Star Wars, of um, fixing them up. And I said, well, this is a great chance for me to experiment with a new technology and see if I can do the, the, the uh, prequels uh, and at the same time fix a lot of things that I was really frustrated with the first time around with Star Wars that I couldn't complete properly because I didn't have enough mo- time, money or technology to do it with. And, um, and so that was a great experience for me. So the, the final version, now the DVD version of the films when they finally get out there uh, will have uh, all of the um, nuances that I had been looking for when I first did the films. So
1: clearly that interview is, I believe, in two thousand two thousand four, 2004, probably, because he does reference at the end the, the release of the DVDs, <laughs> uh, which and it's funny, like in the trailers for the special editions, they always harp on this is the definitive vision of Star Wars. So, I mean, George unpacks all of the points and there are some finer points that he certainly I mean, I think any of us who are longtime Star Wars fans that there knows that there are. Um George-isms, if you will. George uh, modifies history. <laughs> like a lot of people. <laughs> the way he remembers things is always a bit different, right? Like, I mean, the biggest point is like, oh, yeah, I always knew Darth Vader was, was Luke's father. No, like that was literally a decision he made in 1979. Um, but, uh, you know, George always has his different reasons. But this does pretty much lay out wh- why he chose to do the special editions. Again, first point was... It's 25th, 20th anniversary of the, the original movie. Let's do something to celebrate it. And he wanted to try out the new technology. Um, you know, Jurassic Park in 93 was kind of a huge leap forward with digital technology, um, with, with CGI technology, for that matter. All of which was done at ILM for his buddy Steven Spielberg, of course. And George knew that he wanted his prequel stories to be very big imaginative worlds and he would need to be able to use CGI. So the special editions gave him an opportunity to play with those tools to see if it worked. Um, But one other reason that he wanted to put them out, and this isn't something he mentioned there, but I was reading up on this is George also wanted to get a sense of the culture's pulse around star Wars. In other words, were people still interested in seeing star Wars movies? Now, obviously the expanded universe was running from, you know, it's, Launched in ninety one with Heir to the Empire, so there were books coming out and people were buying them. They were often New York Times bestsellers. But he wanted to see if people would go to the theaters again to see Star Wars, and uh, yeah, the answer was a resounding yes.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's for sure. The you know the not only had the expanded universe you know been established, but it was ramping up at that time. It was uh, it was. Getting to be, you know, starting to become that the big universe that it ended up being, and people were really getting invested in it. And then the special editions came out, and it just jump-started the expanded universe into the stratosphere. Um, after that, so I remember watching the amount of books at my local library uh, that had Star Wars on it explode. Um, After the special
1: editions came out, so (laughs) yeah, Uh, well, it's so he. I mean, the amount of money he had to invest into making some of these changes was very minimal at best. But ultimately, with the special editions between the theater box offices as well as merchandising that was in conjunction with the special editions, George brought (laughs) George brought in four hundred and seventy million dollars from the special edition campaign the entire budget for the prequel trilogy was 348 million aka george was literally able to pay for the prequel trilogy with the profits from the special edition i mean yeah uh i mean this isn't the sort of stuff that i get excited about when thinking about star wars behind the scenes but like it just kind of proves what a genius george is with his business acumen seems like um just talk about writing your own check yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: so <laughs> he he was like, "Oh, well, let's just see if this works." Oh, it did. Cool prequel trilogy. Yeah. Check. <laughs> All right, that's one thing off my list. I can just make it not worry about money. <laughs> hey, Rick, you take care of that side of stuff. It's already
1: paid for. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just so cool that like he he used like the reissue of these movies to help tell his new story. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just so like, what was up? Uh, I guess um, when a new hope came out in January of 97, the big movie at the box office was Jerry Maguire, Maguire, which is a Tom, Tom Cruise movie. And it blew it out of the water. Like this 20 year old movie was blowing everything out of the box office. Um, and then as many folks know, empire strikes back came out a few weeks later at the start of February And then Return of the Jedi was supposed to come out the first week of March, but they actually ended up pushing it back two weeks because Empire Strikes Back was doing so well still that they wanted to keep it in a little bit longer. Um, So, yeah, I mean, George was proven right in so many ways. You know, there was clearly still a hunger for Star Wars. Um, His tools worked um, and it paved the way for the prequels. And George... uh, um as as i was like doing some reading uh he had already written two drafts for episode one up to up before 97 so again in some of his interviews he'll say like oh i hadn't even started because i was going to see how this did first that's not true he actually had started written (laughs) writing them um but uh yeah like it just you know the the and um, I never knew this actually. So I was I was rereading the chapter about the special editions from a very popular book, "How Star Wars Conquered the Universe" by Chris Taylor. Wonderful book. If you've not read it, can't recommend it enough. It's it's phenomenal. Um, but in that in that chapter, he talked about how. Um, uh, oh my goodness! My mind just completely went blank. I hate when that happens. Ah, um, uh, what the heck was I going to say? I hate this. Um. Uh, Is it in your notes? <laughs> that's a great question, Jason. Um, I don't remember what the hell I was going to say. Hey, I, I, I hate when that happens. Um, anyway, we'll move forward. I forgot it. Whatever the heck I was going to say. Um, It'll come back in
2: about five minutes and right. we'll get it then. Yeah.
1: So, um, but no. So, you know, this was, this was clearly an opportunity to rem- remind the world how much People wanted more Star Wars Um, and uh, and he was going to be delivering. Oh, okay, I remembered finally. (laughs) Um, So apparently episode one was originally supposed to be released in 97. He wanted it to be released around the 20th anniversary of A New Hope. But because he was having some like he was (laughs) having a hard time writing the story, he knew he was going to need to push it back. And he also knew the CGI wasn't quite up to par yet. So he was going to push it back and actually that's part of the reason we got Shadows of the Empire in 96 is George wanted to put out a multimedia project um again to kind of feel the pulse of Star Wars fandom and he i don't think he i don't think i would use the expression he felt bad that episode 1 was going to be later than he was anticipating but again it was just more of a well let's get something out there to get the fans excited about Star Wars again and then from that as well he, it it bred the uh the special editions um and well, something
2: that was a success you know <laughs> yeah the shadows of the empire multimedia project definitely was a success i remember you know at the time i wasn't you know super into the into star wars outside of the movies but i remember it being everywhere, you know, the comics, the book, the, the video game, especially all my friends had it for the N64. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't have an N64 at the time. and I was very <laughs> jealous. Um, but, uh, you know, it was everywhere. So, you know, he definitely got the, the attention for star Wars and the excitement for star Wars. That he was looking for, that's for sure. Um, and uh, it it
1: worked. Yeah. It worked, George. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and something like I, to, I was like I just I spent some time on Monday because I had the day off, just kind of looking up all sorts of things about Star Wars in the mid '90s and how we got the special editions, which, which was just super fun. I felt like I was playing in 1995 to '97 again, which were some great years. Um, and uh, something that was just. Uh really interesting to me is cause so the, the first version of Star Wars I ever owned myself was the nineteen ninety-five VHS box set, which was you know revamped with THX sound and, and everything. Um and it had the uh you know Darth Vader was on the cover of the A New Hope Box, the Stormtrooper on uh, Empire and then Yoda on the Return of the Jedi box. And the marketing for all of that VHS set was this is your last chance to own the original cut of Star Wars. Um, So they already and then when you listen to the marketing for the special editions, like buying them for home release, it was this is the definitive vision of George Lucas for Star Wars. So just like listening to the marketing, there was, you know, it it started to I mean, in 97 was the first time George made big, significant changes to some of the original movies. Now, a lot of folks probably know this, but. George was making changes as early as 1977. I mean, literally he was going in the night after it was its first release and making some new changes. Um, Apparently, and I didn't remember this even in 1981. So they re-released a new hope after the success of empire and Marsha Lucas, who was obviously his wife and editor at the time, wanted them to put in the scene with Jabba from a new hope, which we now have since 97. But, but George just didn't think they had the technology to do it. So they still chose not to. But as early as 1981 is when they wanted to put that in. And apparently Marshall Lucas was a huge, huge advocate for that scene being in there because she loved the way Harrison Ford played it. She thought it made him look like a total badass, which is exactly why I love that scene. Um, yeah. And we'll talk more about those those big scene changes a little later. But, um, yeah, it was just so, so interesting and so cool to see how like this all came together and these things we talk about in our star Wars fandom today about, um, this is star Wars. This isn't star Wars. This is how George would have won. This isn't how George would have wanted. Like all these, this toxic bull spit, <laughs> you know, that is happening Bullsit. in our fandom today is, I mean, it, it really kind of started all back in 97. Um, So before we get into, like, the fun of all the the new things that the special editions gave us, I do think it's worth pointing that out, though. Like, this was 97, um, and I don't think, Jason, probably you weren't, and I certainly wasn't in 97 aware of any of this, but there was a lot of backlash, specifically around the Han and Greedo scene. That was the biggest stuff people had a problem with, right? Um, Right. And, you know, they're like, you're changing the fundamental character. Of Han Solo and therefore this film. And that's where you first got like aggressive statements like, uh, oh, no, I I think this was more with Phantom Menace. So I won't say that. But but like people were just like, you know, George Lucas is destroying my childhood and crap like that started as early as 97. And it's funny when you look at the tension that exists, there is george he he's just a he seems like he's a very stubborn man, and he does love control. If you've ever read the Brian J. Jones biography about George Lucas, again, another phenomenal read uh I feel like his thesis statement about who George Lucas is at the end of the day is is he loves controlling things um and I think you know, according to this biography, it's both a good and a bad thing, right It's got its places where it's it's made him shine, and it's sometimes been his pitfall and I would say like. And I I want to get your take on this because I know I'm talking a lot, but you know, was George, does George have the right to make these changes or does Star Wars belong to the fans? I would say it's both. And I think George can make as many changes as he wants, but also needs to understand that with anything that's artistic that you put into the world, it also belongs to the fans now too. So there's this tension between, is it right or wrong? And, um, you know, I think it I think the correct answer is both and. Um, George is right to make the changes, but he's also wrong to be ignorant of how that might affect things. <laughs> so um I don't know. What do you think about all that? I mean, I, I honestly
2: think I come from a, a, a much less hostile um perspective on this on the the idea of, of things being changed, uh, because I was introduced to the special edition. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I, you know, Uh, will probably become more apparent as we go through some of the changes I really don't have any issues with any of the changes that were made whatsoever because like I said original viewing for me Um, and so finding out that that those were changes and stuff like that I've been very accepting of it and I've always been sort of amused by the changes I've I don't I honestly it's a weird thing my star wars fandom is mine the star wars movies to me aren't they're mm. they're george's i get to enjoy well, it. i get to experience not george's them anymore
1: have, so what not george's anymore
2: that's true well
1: i know yeah, what you mean now, but yes um but kind of that's
2: been my thing like the fandom and my enjoyment of it is all mm. mine the movies are george's it's kind of been the way i've viewed it because obviously between you know 97 and 2004 2011 you know we had continued changes of these movies uh multiple times so i've just kind of gotten used to it mm-hmm. um and I, so to your point carl i think it is a bit of both mm-hmm. uh george definitely has the right to go in and tinker because it's his project it's He's the creator. He's the one who came up with all of this. Um Just because it's released doesn't mean he doesn't have any right to it anymore. You know, uh it's not completely out of his hands and completely in ours. It's still out in the world, and he's in the world, so he still has access to it. Um But, to your point, it is, in a sense, property of the fans in the way that they have taken ownership of the passion and the, um, the intense excitement and enjoyment of it. Uh, and so any adjustments or tweaks or changes will be met with some consternation. Um, and as long as, you know, George or whoever is making the the changes understands it, you know, then then i think it's okay uh but if they're just making changes willy-nilly because uh my thing then that becomes
1: an issue sure. um so yeah i just it's, it's i mean there's there was a um yeah there was a movement when 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 the after the special editions had come out right and and these changes had been made you had a lot of fans again who were really upset by it And they even like in 1988, George Lucas gave us a statement in testimony before Congress because Ted Turner wanted to start colorizing black and white movies. And George said, you can't do that. You're changing the integrity of the story by making those changes. So fans threw that back in his face like a decade later and like you're doing the same thing like you're 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 a hypocrite. Um, But uh, and also because this is nothing new in Star Wars fandom today. But after the special editions came out, people started a petition to have them undone. <laughs> um, and the petition was specifically for uh, we want the original cut like when and this was this wasn't immediately after the special editions. It was after the DVD. The first DVD run came out in, in 2004. You had fans on the Internet. Signing these petitions saying, we want the original cuts. And that's why in 2006, George put out another version of the DVDs with his special editions. And then there was a bonus disc, including the original cuts. But he didn't clean them up at all. And he was very (laughs) blunt about it. He said, I'm not wasting any money cleaning these up for you. (laughs) So but, but at the same time, and this is. Like, this is kind of the, like, you got to love it and hate it part of the Star Wars fandom is because of that, you do have fans that went and took the original cuts and made Blu-ray versions of them. They made 4K versions on their own. They put in the work, which is kind of like, hey, that's really cool. Um, I actually own one of those just because I was like, yeah, sure, I'll grab one off the interwebs. Um, And, you know, there's part of me like kind of admires that like these fans. Okay this is the story you really want to see forever cool make that story um uh but it's it this yeah it's just again i think there's always this tension with those sorts of things um yeah um it the funny thing is is
2: that you know making those tweaks and improvements and stuff is still making changes like george was so uh it, it's it's a little it i find it a little ironic um that people you know took the original and still cleaned it up yeah. and i know some people like put in little additional effects or sounds or music you know depending on what their their particular interest was um and so it it's just it's just funny to me it's a little ironic to me that that happens and you know as long as people you know admit the irony i'm i'm totally fine with it but it's just it's just amusing yeah. Um, yeah, the, the interesting thing, uh, I just, I want to comment about the statement that Lucas made to, to Congress about the, the black and white movies and stuff and Ted Turner wanting to colorize them. Um, and the difference in the situation is that Turner wasn't the creator of those movies.
1: Hmm.
2: I think this is this sure. is my argument and where I think George is coming from um and where where he would uh defend himself on this i would think is that Turner didn't make those movies he's he can't come in as an outsider and change things like that because that disrupts the integrity Star Wars is george's at least it was at the time and so that gives him the you know the creative integrity to make the changes that that he wants to. So yeah. I feel like that's the argument he would use to defend himself in that situation. Um, and that's what makes sense to me in my head. So uh, it is just amusing that uh, somebody went and found that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> it's a clear, and that is a clear distinction. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, again, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's always going to be that tension in star Wars fandom about, you know, whenever there's something new or different, there's going to be a tension about how people react to that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would say the biggest difference between today and 1997, 25 years ago, is that not everyone has a Twitter account they can hide behind and be extremely toxic with, right? Um, it just wasn't as in your face. Also, we were children at the time, Jason. You know, you and I both were children. I mean, I was 11 yeah. years old. You were eight. Like, we were kids. None of that, even if I had seen that stuff, I would have just, like, it would have just, what like, I would have just ignored it because it's like, I love Star Wars. I don't, why are you being a baby? <laughs> type of a thing. Yeah. Um, and that's still kind of my reaction is, you know, the jerks out there that waste all their breath just hating on Star Wars and then call themselves fans. Um, get the hell out. You're not a fan. Um, but, uh, you know, like, it's just... It's it's interesting to see, you know, there there is a passion in Star Wars fans that George elicited in 97 by making some changes. Um, but again, like, for you and I, Jason... I mean, you especially, you weren't even aware of them because you didn't know the other versions. I was, mm-hmm. but at the... I know for me back then, and I still say this today, I loved the special editions. I loved getting to go see star Wars in the movie theaters because I never thought I'd get to do that. And secondly, I loved when I went to see them because I'd been a fan for two years at that point. And Jason, like I've said before, I watched those movies every single weekend, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, I would watch empire (laughs) strikes back at night and return of the Jedi in the morning. Every now and then I would watch a new hope. I just, I was never crazy about a new hope. Um, I know my friend Ben is screaming at the wall right now, but uh, you know, and I mean, I, I'd seen those movies a zillion times in the two years of my early fandom. So to go and see all this new stuff was just like, it was like, this is so cool. Like it's something new for me to, to take in. So I, and again, I was 11 years old. I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, And you know, like, you know, it, maybe at some point we should do just for the fun of it, like an episode where we look at all the changes from 97 through, uh, essentially the Blu-rays, which I believe were in 2010. Um, but you know, I mean, every subsequent release had, had changes. Um, but like Mm -hmm. I said, you know, George was making changes all the way back in the eighties. Um, so that's never been new. I think what was new for people though, was again, you got like new scenes. You had, um, controversial choices like Greedo shooting first um you know but uh at the end of the day i think i mean i i have nothing but fond memories around the special edition um and uh yeah like let's let's get into them let's talk about some of these changes and again i was as i was as i was kind of writing them all down jason i was thinking to myself i'm like Jason's probably not going to know all of these. And again, only because you've never seen the original cuts. Um, right? Right. I,
2: I, I, I know of the changes because of documentaries and people talking about them. I, aside from return of the Jedi, I have not seen any of the um, original trilogy in its original form. Uh just, putting that out there uh, I, other than clips you know mm. uh, but so i i know about most of the changes uh i i don't know them in great detail uh, because it's just not something i was exposed to uh and you're gonna find i don't care about most of the changes or prefer the the changes to the originals for most of the time anyway so um yeah uh, but let's go ahead and, and and get into some of these changes that came in 1997.
1: Uh, which one do we want to start with, Carl? I figured to talk about them chronologically. <laughs> so well, I would. I mean, the you first know. the the and I may miss some here, but I mean, the first big one is just when they're going into Moss Isley. You get like you get Rontos. That, that was a new creation. I mean, there's just those are a CGI creature. Um, actually, mm-hmm. now that I think about it, I guess the very first thing changed for the special edition was you had a CGI do back um, that the stormtrooper was riding on. So that was the first thing. But, you know, ultimately, George wanted Moss Eisley to feel like a very inhabited city. So with the help of CGI, he was able to make the city streets a little bit more bustling. Um, we also see you know, the silly little uh, like hover droid gets whacked down by the Asp droid. The Asp droid was created for Shadows of the Empire, which I just thought was so cool. We also see the Outrider taking off from Mos Eisley as they're riding the speeder down the main street. Because again, yep. Shadows had come out the year before, and George wanted to just give it a quick homage to it by showing the Outrider. Um, which was yeah. again, as someone who like loved Shadows of the Empire the year before, I was like, "Oh my god, it's the Outrider Dash Rendar! That's so cool! Um, I loved it." Uh, but I mean, yeah, I'm again. Most of these changes I really liked. I loved this. I loved that Moss Isley felt like a bustling city. It was so much better.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know the you know the additional stormtrooper stuff out in the desert. All of the stuff in Moss Eisley to just make it bigger and more bustling. The big establishing shots, the uh, tweaks to the land speeder to make it, you know, look like it's riding higher and, you know, cleaner. Um, you know, things like that. They're all over the place. Obviously, we get additional shots in the cantina as well. Um, it's just full, you know, more and more full of life, which is what George has been going for with all of his planets uh, from the get-go. Is he, he wants them to be fully inhabited locales and worlds that have their own histories and, you know, classes and uh, career people and, you know, poor people and rich people and in-between people and, you know, all that stuff. So, uh yeah going back and and seeing clips of a comparatively deserted Moss Eisley was a bit weird uh, yeah. after seeing the special editions
1: yeah yeah it, and um it's funny as i was uh again like reading and watching things the other day uh Gary Kurtz didn't like the updates George made to Moss Eisley cuz he liked he thought that the original version gave it a more of a Sergio Leone western town where it's like there's barely anybody there and he thought it made it feel more rugged and and and, and intimidating um which again like this is all it comes down to a matter of perspective right like the, i don't I don't think you can say anybody's wrong it's what you prefer and what you prefer isn't right or wrong um oh i mean in this these cases of course <laughs> um, but uh, i don't that's not a blanket statement um but uh yeah no i mean I, I obviously i love the way that he he did that and you know there's a There's obviously a silliness to you know when the when the swoop bike again shadows of the empire creation when the swoop bike rider goes around the ronto and it you know it kind of hops up on his hind legs and the jawa goes swinging down, that's a very silly thing. And George, by the time of Return of the Jedi, wanted to put silly stuff in all of his Star Wars because again. He was making these stories more explicitly for children because he had children. Um, and a, that was another thing I meant forgot to mention earlier, too, is George wanted to put these back in theaters because his son, Jet Lucas, was I think he was like six or seven years old in 97. And George wanted him to be able to experience the original movies on the big screen. Um, so, again, like George is a family man. He wasn't that like late 20 year old new director writer. He was he was a family man. So like including something silly like the, the Ronto and the Jawa, it doesn't seem out of place to me. It seems like that's that's Star Wars right there. Like that's yeah, that makes sense. Um I
2: enjoyed it. It it made me laugh as a kid and still makes me laugh as an adult. So you know Yeah, it's silly. <laughs> uh
1: well and then of course you know we do get the big one. The the biggest thing and and this has been changed every single time this movie has been touched since 97 is, you know, so in 97 Greedo shoots first period. Like it's not Greedo shoots, misses Han shoots under the table, kills him. Then in the 2004 release, he speeds the framing up a tiny bit. So George or Greedo and Han shoot almost at the same time. Um, and it's it's like that now with uh the Disney Plus version, the 4K, he has he says McClunky, which I don't know where the hell that came from. Um, and then shoots and Han shoots at the same time. So, Jason, we've talked about this on the show before, but I'm just gonna reiterate it in case you may be a new listener or something. But I've I actually like that Greedo shoots first because it's a reflection of how afraid of Han Greedo is to me like this is my headcanon is Greedo is just like he's like it's it's almost like he's trembling so much he's so nervous because he knows what like a deadly gunslinger Han Solo is yes he's got the gun on him but yet at the end of the day he's still nervous so when he pulls the trigger it's almost like a nervous twitch and and then Han just finishes him off. So I'm fine with Greedo shooting first, right? Of course, George's reasoning for this in '97 was he didn't want Han to come across as a cold-blooded killer. Um, and but at the end of the day, like I just was like, no, that's so cool. Like Greedo's so afraid of Han, he shoots first and he misses because he's so scared. Um, so yeah, I, I I got no problems with it. I like it.
2: I mean, and I, I know the big criticism about this scene is that people say it changes Han's character. It, it makes him uh, less of a of a badass, less of a uh, you know, devil may care kind of a of a character. Um, which, because of the next scene that they put in uh, with Jabba. Mm-hmm. I still got that from him in this movie. It never, that, the character of who Han Solo is, I got that across in my first viewing with Greedo shooting first. So I, I have never, this has never been a hill that I will die on is the (laughs) Greedo shooting first or second or third or whatever. Um, or not at all, you know? Uh, it, It, it's, It doesn't change anything about the scene for me because it's still Han Solo. Han is already arming himself. He's going to shoot Greedo no matter what. It just Greedo's itchy trigger finger went off first is all, you know, I, this was never a change that mattered to me. Yeah. Uh, And (laughs) obviously, because I, I, I saw it first this way. And I remember going back, um, you know, when the controversy was exploding in my, you know, world. And I was like, oh, Han used to shoot first. Okay.
1: Like, that was my reaction. Yeah, who cares? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I just think I just want to. Call this out because I think it's hilarious. So people flipped out at Ryan Johnson when he the, he shared a picture of him drinking from a mug that said fanboy tears, which I still think is hilarious. Ryan was not the first person to make fun of fan bros. It was George. He was he wore the T-shirt on the set of Revenge of the Sith. It's a picture. It's a cartoon Han. It says Han shot first. He was trolling <laughs> fans as early as 1998. So like. All you who get bent out of shape about Ryan, George did it first. He's got no he's got no time for you, fan bros. Um so I just I love that about George. When he was and then again when he was on the set of Indiana Jones 4, he was wearing that t-shirt again and people were just like dying. It's like, yeah, George, good for you. <laughs> so um yeah. but uh but yeah, then of course the big I, I would I think this is the only big extra scene added. Is the Jabba scene? And of course, this was a scene that was filmed originally. Um, the actor's name, oh, shoot, something, Mulholland was his last name. But a big a big gentleman in a furry coat <laughs> um, with a very thick Scottish accent was in the original take. Um, but, got it. De- Declan Mulholland. Yeah, Declan Mulholland. Um, That's a fantastic yeah. name. So, I mean, a lot of the people that... You know, was this scene necessary? No, it was redundant because it's the it's essentially the same dialogue he has with Greedo. But George rewrote the dialogue with Greedo originally because he couldn't get in the Jabba scene. But like you and I were already talking about Jason, I and and Marsha Lucas herself had this point is this scene is kind of an integral scene for Han because, I mean, this is. This is Tony Soprano he's going up against. It's the godfather of crime. And here's Han standing toe-to-toe with him, seemingly not intimidated. Um, something George added in 97, because this obviously wasn't in the original cut, is he put Boba Fett in there. So Boba Fett uh-huh. was added in 97, just kind of standing off to the side because George knew what a fan favorite that character was. So he just wanted to put him in there. Um, and he even glares at the camera as as the scene ends. Um, so... Um, it was just cool to see Boba Fett in there. But yeah, I really like this scene because, you know, it just Han is so cool in the face of someone who's actually quite scary <laughs> um, and is there with a little private army. And Han just doesn't, you know, he he doesn't get intimidated. So that tells yeah. you a lot about his character.
2: Yeah, exactly. And my favorite part of this scene is always the, the part where he walks around behind Java. But, of course, Jabba is now a giant slug. He has to step on Jabba's back. And I'm like, did you just do that? (laughs) He did. He did, everybody. Uh, And it was pretty ballsy. Um, So... (laughs) If anything that you think Han might have lost from having Greedo shoot first, he made up for it by stepping on Jabba's tail. (laughs) in a yeah. casual conversation yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so good um oh. yeah uh and then you know the only other really big things is um it, towards the end of the movie the the death star battle gets some enhanced special effects um it, um, I actually, I had to rewatch the original cut a while back cause I was like, I don't even really remember what the differences were and they're, they're minimal, but it's a lot better in 97. I mean, the shots of the ships all taking up in the, taking off in the foreground on Yavin four, that was all new in 97 looks so much better. Um, rather than these little models off in the distance. And then of course the shot, you can see the pilots in the cockpits and stuff. I loved all that. It just made it feel, I don't know, just, it made it look better in my opinion. Yeah. Um, And then some of the shots of the actual battle itself were, you know, they're just more exciting, more exhilarating.
2: Yeah. Just some inserts to make it more thrilling. Um, But it's, it worked and, you know, it was probably needed and definitely something George wanted, but was just running out of time and money to do. Right. uh, In that, in 77. So. um, Yeah. But yeah, that's, and I, I, you know, I, I've, I honestly, aside from the, the takeoff shot, I've not really done a comparison of the battle because I don't feel the need to do so because everyone says it's better in the special edition. So yeah. <laughs> I
1: don't think there's anybody that complains about this change. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I doubt it. Um, and, and I almost forgot they did in 97, of course, reinsert. That scene with Biggs and Luke right before they take off for the battle, so obviously yeah. that was originally filmed um he decides to put it back in, in ninety seven and again j- like like I said earlier Jason this was a, I just i this is these are the memories ingrained in my head and will forever be ingrained in my head is when I saw this movie in January of ninety seven I know I went with my my immediate family because my mom was sitting next to me. And when Jabba showed up, I'm like, mom, this is whole, this is a whole new scene. Like I was so excited. And the same thing when like Bigs shows up, I'm like, this is a whole new scene. Mom, I love it. Uh, I mean, it was just so cool to see that. And, and I like that you get to see Biggs. It gives just yeah. a little bit more sense of like, um, you know, Luke talks about this friend of his who goes off to the Academy. Um, and, and he, you know, he, like he tells Uncle Owen earlier in the movie, like, uh, you know, that's what I want to do. And it's cool to see that he's gotten there. This is the person he's idolized. It's his, it's his best friend from youth that he's idolized, who's who's made it into the into the world in the way he wants to, and now he gets to be there. Um, and I, I've always loved the line when Big says, "They'll never be able to stop us, Luke." Like they're just it's just dripping with self confidence, and I love that. I love how self assured Biggs is that now that Luke's up there with him, like you know, we're we're the baddest pilots in all of Tatooine and now we get to take on the Empire. Um I just I I love that little moment. Yeah, no, it's a great
2: it's a great moment. It's a great scene. Not only does it give us, you know, Biggs and connects us to something that Luke had been talking about earlier in the film, um, But it also, I think, helps to serve as an anchor point, a connecting point, to the Rebel pilots as a whole, who we haven't really met at all. Um, And so, because we care about Biggs, by extension, we start to care about the other pilots that we see during the fight. And so, when they all start dying, it's more tense and and dramatic, Um, and we're more invested, I think. So... I think that's uh it was a no-brainer to put that scene back in. Um yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love it too. Yeah, it's it's it, it, some clever editing to cut out the the part about knowing Luke's father and all that stuff. Yeah, that's uh, it,
1: yeah, cuz Red Red Leader mentions to Luke that he knew he flew with his father. Um mm-hmm. but that of course was not included. No. Um, editing, uh, I mean, but, it, yeah. but even but, if they'd left it in, I don't think it would have confused anything. That guy could have been in the Clone Wars. It's not that hard to believe. All right. Al- although, yeah. Well, this is a question for a different topic and a different day. But does the galaxy at large know that Anakin became Darth Vader? I don't know. I feel like they've tackled that a little bit with some of the new canon stuff. And I feel like most don't, which is, I mean, I'm av- totally off topic here at this point. But that's like in the book Betrayal. 'll leads up to Force Awakens. That's what gets Leia into trouble with the Senate is it's revealed that Darth Vader was her father. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it, it's the new canon has made it out that most people did not know. Whereas the Legends canon, everybody knew. So, right. right. Um, but anyway, we're off topic. So going into Empire Strikes Back, there's this movie has the least amount of changes. Um, and I think a, a lot of fans lovingly say it's because it's the best movie. It doesn't need anything, um, which I wouldn't disagree with. Uh, but Jason, obviously for folks like for the two of us as Wampas Lair guys. Uh, we get more shots of the Wampa that, and that was all that. These were all new things that, you know, George shot. They got somebody in a big Wampa costume. They finally got it to look the way they wanted it to and move the way they wanted it to. So we get shots of the Wampa eating the Tauntaun that he killed under from Luke. And, yeah. Um, yeah, like we see him approaching Luke. We see him walking through the cave. Whereas in the original cut, the only time you really see the Wampa is you see the face like we always do. And then you do see him briefly walk towards Luke as he slashes the lightsaber. But that's it. Um, and honestly, Jason, I it At the end of the day, and it's probably just because it's the one I've seen the most is the special edition version. I do still think I prefer it because I love how cool the Wampa looks. Um, But there is something quite suspenseful to not really seeing the Wampa. And again, George was kind of emulating what Steven Spielberg had done with Jaws, right? It's, it's almost scarier because you don't see it. Um, Mm. So to me, this is kind of like there. I like both. I, I think they both serve great purposes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think still I come down with, like, I, I really like seeing the Wampa. It's just such a cool design.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I do too. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, the suspense of it only works if I think that's the ultimate goal of, like, the movie. You know, the whole movie about Jaws is the suspense about the shark. Sure. Like, that is, that is the entire thing about Jaws. Um, and I'm not sure, at least for me, it doesn't work as well in small doses. So I need the payoff of seeing it. I don't mind, you know, perhaps keeping it shrouded or mysterious for a while. But when it pops out, I want to see it. Because, like, that's cool. Um, it's a cool... It's, you know, a ferocious, abominable snowman. Um, <laughs> but I'm uh, I'm here for it. So, uh, of course... As Carl mentioned, we might be a little bit biased considering the name of our podcast. <laughs> um, so that's that. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, I've i always, you know, going back to see the original scene, um, I've always felt it was less uh, exciting.
1: Sure.
2: Um, I always was, you know, re- remembering going back and forth, um, I always thought it was more uh, intense, not intense, um, nerve-wracking. Because you could see what the Wampa was doing to the Tauntaun, and what he had done to the Tauntaun, and now he's going to come and do it to Luke. And so it's like, oh god, he's getting closer. Oh no, stop it. Come on, Luke, do something. And then he finally does. So, um, it works different ways. Uh, You change the... The tone of the scene a little bit uh, with the new stuff, but it's the same end goal.
1: Sure, I'm hoping that in 2022, Christmas of 2022, we get a special edition just of Empire, where as the Wampas walking towards Luke, we get Yukon Cornelius at the front of the Wampas cave doing (laughs) the sound of a pig from the classic (laughs) Rudolph from 1963. (laughs) Never knew an abominable to turn down Venice, a pork dinner for venison. <laughs> oh, I love Yukon Cornelius.
2: Just Be careful because you knock him off the ledge and he's going to be right back because yeah. abominables <laughs> bounce. <laughs> <laughs>
1: God. Uh, yes, yeah. Yukon Cornelius.
2: Someone needs to do an edit of that. Yeah, it would be
1: so good. I'm sure th- I wouldn't be surprised if there's one out there. I just got to do some looking. Um, yeah. But... Uh, uh, one, so another little thing we get in the Empire Special Edition is the, there's a new shot of Slave 1 following the Falcon. So again, in the original 1980 version, the Falcon flies by, you see the Slave 1 activate its engines, and then it goes right into the interior from the cockpit of Boba Fett. That's it. But then in 97, George, just for whatever reason, put an extra shot of the Falcon flying and the Slave 1 right behind it. I I again like I love that it was so cool getting to see more of the slave one, seeing more shots of the Falcon. Um, but the joke has always been and I think it's hilarious is doesn't Han even have a rear view mirror because it's like right behind the Falcon? <laughs> like <it's, laughs> he's not being subtle, <laughs> you know, in that shot. It's like there goes yeah. the Millennium Falcon two seconds later, the slave one's like right on his butt. So, um, but yeah, I I love that shot. I just again like it's just cool, more of these ships. Like I'm here for it. Here's the thing
2: until I started doing prep for this episode, I didn't realize that was a new shot. Hmm.
1: Well, that, that makes was, that was right. a change.
2: I, that was a change I didn't know about until like last week. So, <laughs> 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 so thanks special edition. You pulled one over on me all these years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that, that was one that I had no idea was an addition. Um, I mean, it works. Uh, You know, I don't think anybody complained about it. It is kind of funny. Yeah, it is so close. But I always was like, well, they're in the garbage. Sensors are scrambled. He's using that to kind of, you know, essentially stay in Han's blind spot until Han jumps away. So that was my headcanon
1: about it. But yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, And then, of course, the other big thing, I mean, he changes up the look of Cloud City a bit. You know, he, he gives it a little bit of a CGI makeover, makes it feel bigger, makes it feel more like a city. Again, something similar to what he was doing with Moss Eisley. It just the, there's an approaching shot of the Falcon again from inside the cockpit where you get to see a little bit more of the city as the Falcons coming into land. You see more. You get an added shot. You know, um, Leia's looking out the window and a cloud car flies by. But now. There's a, a total of maybe four extra seconds on front of that, where there's a cloud car just flying around through this through the city. I loved all that again because it just made the city feel more alive. Um,
2: there's an actual, it's an actual city. You know, you've got the public transportation or the the, the the you know security patrols or whatever going through, and you know, it's it's an actual city. It's not just like unrendered video game city that renders when you get into it um you know kind of a thing uh but yeah no i i was like that and then the other big thing that they adjust to, to cloud city is that they take out some of the walls and put in these big windows right to kind of open it up and make it kind of feel bigger on the inside of cloud city as well which um you know going back and forth you know seeing old clips i definitely like the windows better it looks a lot better in my opinion so
1: yeah yeah i i I agree (laughs) um now there's one big change this is only exists in the 1997 special edition release because george got rid of it again uh with the 2004 dvds rightfully so when luke jumps down the chasm so right like he rejects Vader's offer to join him. He jumps down, and as he's jumping down, he yells the whole way. He just goes ah, like the whole way down, and it is so dumb. <laughs> I don't know why that was put in in '97, but that's the only version it's in. Is he put it in in the special edition? No idea why. It's so stupid. Again, not like I'm not like offended by it, but it is dumb. <laughs> and he took it out well, again in 2004. Not only did he just
2: put it in. It's a modulated version of the Emperor's scream in Return of the Jedi.
1: That's what I thought. Because like this sounds yeah. kind of like the Emperor. It doesn't it, sound it, like
2: Luke. <laughs> no, it is a an audially tweaked version of the Emperor's scream from Return of the Jedi. It's not even Luke screaming. It's the Emperor in Luke's voice or something. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it didn't bother me at the time when I watched it, but... You know, kind of on subsequent viewings, I went, huh, that's weird. And it's fine that I got taken right back out again because it probably shouldn't have been in there.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's quite silly. Um, and then the last change he makes in Empire is he gives us this little extra scene of Darth Vader boarding his shuttle and landing on the executor. Um. This was one that I always was just like why do we need this? Like again, I don't care, I'm not like offended by it. I think it's pointless. And I do I I don't like the line change. So the original line from 1980s is, Vader is pissed because Luke just rejected him. He's he's pissed off. So he walks by an officer and he says, "Bring my shuttle." And he says it in a really pissed off way because he's pissed. But then George changed it in 97 to prepare my Star Destroyer to prepare for my arrival. It's so dumb. and yeah, Yeah, It's very kind of blase. Yes. Um, whereas the original line, which is just bring my shuttle, like he's pissed off. And there's so much anger and annoyance in that in those three words. And now there's like this weird formality and I don't mind like seeing a shuttle like go up into the, you know, and land. And when we see the interior of the Star Destroyer landing bay and him coming down the ramp, that's just unused footage from Return of the Jedi because you can clearly tell it's Moff to It's not Admiral Um So, again, like I don't know why he put that in there. It adds nothing to the story in my opinion, but – Again like that was one of those silly changes where I was like I don't get it but like it's fine. <laughs> so um yeah, I mean I don't
2: I honestly don't mind the um the visual, you know, scenes of watching him take off and land and all that stuff. I think it's fine. Uh I like it. Uh the line change doesn't bother me, but then again like I said it's probably because the original version I I watched was alert my starter story to prepare for my arrival you know it I never really got to feel the impact of prepare my shuttle right. so uh, yeah. it's one that doesn't bother me but it's such a small detail that even if I would prefer the original line it's not really going to make any difference so yeah
1: well here is the original line I just pulled it up quick Bring my
0: shuttle.
1: So much better. I'm sorry. I just like that's so much better to me. Bring my shuttle. He's so pissed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, I do like the shot of him walking out to the shuttle because I was just like, oh, cool. It's cool to see like where they landed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Uh, it, so that's it for Empire. I mean, again, very minimal changes. I just to be fair and like i wasn't going to put in the work to figure out all these little things but every single movie in 97 i know there were little things he 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 tidied up like he cleaned up wipes he cleaned up negatives right so there's there were other changes besides just these overt things on screen if that makes sense i mean he wanted yep. them to look better and and i'm glad he did i jason like when i watched like thanks to joe hogan i have a vcr so like i watched one of my first vhs versions of empire it looks terrible like it looks awful <laughs> And the special editions don't look that much better. So, like, I'm glad that he's always invested into making these things look better. Um, yeah. And so, but uh, but then, you know, getting into Return of the Jedi, there's, of course, uh, in the the special edition 97, there is a big change that will, I would say, that the biggest things people had a problem with in 97. Biggest one was Greedo. Second one was Jedi Rocks, <laughs> I think. Um, and again, when I say that, like that, I didn't become aware of this right away. Um, again, eleven years old. I, I mean, yes, we had the internet, but it's not like it is today. I mean, I wasn't reading blogs or things like that. So it wasn't until much later that I was aware that people had issues with any of this stuff. Um, right. But you know, if we go to Return of the Jedi, uh, one of the neatest things, though, that was kind of added, and again, similar to. Um, uh, the, the Wampa stuff being filmed extra for Empire, right? That was George sitting down with a camp, like putting out a uh, film crew, shooting new scenes. They they reshot the scene of um, Ula, the you know dancing girl, falling down into the Rancor pit. And then we get some shots of her down in there, watching the Rancor door slowly open. That's still Femi Taylor, the actor that played Ula in 1983, came back well i'm not good at math that's not quite 20 years later but 14 years later she looks just as good um but they reshot those scenes um again i don't know why he felt the need to show us down there again I, i feel like this is somewhat similar to the wampa stuff right not seen can be more terrifying than seen and we still don't see um we we you know, we watch Ula, we're down there with Ula, watching that door open, but we still don't see the raincore till Luke gets down there, which I still right. think is the right move. Again, don't know why he chose to like throw in those couple extra seconds of her down there, but it's fine. Like I it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't care. <laughs> so yeah. you know.
2: No, I, I don't care either. Um you know, it's remarkable that she looks, you know, just about as you know, the same in the costume as she did, you know, over a decade earlier. So that's, you know, fantastic. You know, that was very helpful (laughs) for, for these shots. Um, But yeah, I I think it's more to sell the fear of what's behind the gate, Mm -hmm. you know, um, is the purpose of it. Uh, Was it necessary to put that in? Maybe not, but it's in there now yeah. and nobody has a problem with it as far as I can tell.
1: Yeah. Um, but then, you know, like I, it, it kind of insinuated the biggest change. Um, well, the biggest controversial change, I would say, for Return of the Jedi is, of course, the the replacement of Lopty Neck with Jedi Rocks. Um, mm. And it's not just the song that's replaced, but it's there's almost like a dance number. Uh, I mean, that so that was also yeah. completely reshot. You know, he he made a completely digital size noodles and Droopy McCool, who looks like mm-hmm. that serial character. Um, <laughs> but Jabba the Hutt in A New Hope's Inclusion, size noodles and Droopy McCool. Those were the predecessors of Jar Jar Binks. Um, uh, uh, ja Yowza, you thinking? Oh, J-Yowza J-Yowza. yeah, 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 which I, yeah, which I think he's a new character for yes. the 97 special. Yeah, that's scene. right. Cause droopy it's McCool like is a different back character. Back. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we get this whole new, you know, kind of jazz, jazzy dance number. Um, you know, I, I, I really feel like this was an opportunity to just do a new type of piece of music. Um, so yeah, I, so again, Jason, me personally, and, uh, I prefer Lopty Neck in that scene. I love Jedi Rocks as a song; like it's super fun. Um, I love listening to it when it comes up on the score. But in so far as in the movie, I feel Lopty Neck is a better fit. Um, I, I my only and again, like when I say my complaint. It's not like I don't like, I like hate this, but Jedi, Jedi rocks just seems like a show tunes number. And that just doesn't seem like the type of music job would listen to. <laughs> but, um, but that's my opinion. Um, I, I mean, again, I love this piece of music very, very much. Um, it was not written by John Williams. I can't remember who it was. Loppy neck was also not written by John Williams. Um, but, uh, uh, I forgot to write down who did. doesn't really matter. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's something that was new that some people thought the CGI was a little over the top. I mean, what what was the name of that new character again, Jason? Cha Yauza. Cha Yauza. Cha J- Yeah. <laughs> when he jumps into the front of the camera and we got the little CGI spittle in his in his mouth there. It's like this looks yeah. so fake. <laughs> like it doesn't hold up. I I don't even know if it looked good then. But again, I commend George for trying it. Like, he's trying to do something because he knew he wanted to do this for the prequels. Um, so, yeah. But I know you really do like this. I do. I, I've always enjoyed Jedi Rocks. Um, it's a fun
2: piece. I, I do like Lopty Neck. I, you know, but of course, I found out about Lopty Neck later. Honestly, I think my first major exposure to Lopty Neck is playing the original Star Wars Battlefront and having it be one of the songs on the heroes map um when you're fighting against all the other heroes. Uh so um I've gotten you know to appreciate it more later and the I obviously I've seen the music video for it um a number of times. But you know I I think both work. Um I I do like uh Jedi rocks just a little bit better because yeah. um, it is kind of just and I think I like it because it is kind of a weird vibe for where they're all at uh, you know it, it it's it's very bright and upbeat in this dark dank seedy place uh, and I like the, the dichotomy of that yeah. Um, so
1: yeah um, but. I've never had an issue with it, right? And like, I just to be clear, I don't have an issue with the song at all. I just feel like it doesn't quite fit the scene as well as Loppy Neck did. But that again, we're coming down to questions of preference, nothing more. (laughs) So, yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: Uh, The other kind of, and a lot of the changes in Return of the Jedi happen on Tatooine. Uh, At least a lot of the. The the big ones. There's one big one at the end that we'll get to. uh, But the other big change that happens on Tatooine is, of course, the Sarlacc. Yes. uh, Redesign. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, obviously, as a a kid of the special edition, uh, I like the Sarlacc design that we get here uh, with the beak and the extra tentacles. Uh, It does make it seem more dangerous, which is what George was going for. Uh, otherwise, it's just a couple of tentacles and a hole in the ground. Um, but, you know, I, I've always, I've never had an issue with this. I, I don't mind the change at all. And, and I do think it does provide a bit more tension because the Sarlacc seems to be a bit more um, actively trying to, you know, affect the outcome of what's happening in the battle. It's a third party now, uh, more than just an oops, we fell. So
1: (laughs) yeah, no, I mean the beak, um, which now I know they've kind of like they've, you know, in one of those like Star Wars anatomy books or whatever, I think the beak is actually meant to be like, it's part of its tongue or something. Um, Yeah. But all the same, like uh, I'm, I'm good with it either way. I don't really have a preference. I mean, at this point I always see the beak because I, unless I'm going to watch my old VHS, I'm not watching the original. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, I like, kind of like you said, it gives it a little bit more of an active, um, presence. Yes. Yes, The tentacles move a bit, but yeah, they, it it makes it feel a little more alive and therefore more menacing. Um, and I did almost forget right before we get to the Sarlacc pit, the, the shot of the, uh, dewbacks wandering in the, the, the dune sea that was added in 97 as well. That was not in the original cut. Yeah. Um, and again, just like to me that's like another like George just throwing a little bit of spice onto these movies, making them feel a little more inhabited, making these worlds feel a little richer. Um I love that. Yeah. Um the lecture pepper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um but then yeah, so the end of the movie, of course, we get uh in 97 with the special edition uh the galactic tour if you will. The the the, the yeah. galaxy-wide victory celebration. And it's the first time we ever saw on, on screen Coruscant, which, of course, was first named in Air uh, to the Empire in 91 by Timothy Zahn. It was so cool to see that on screen. Um, that's the only new planet in 97, because, of course, then we just go back to Mos Eisley. We go back to Cloud City. Um, but I've always loved that inclusion ever since 97. It's like, yes, it, it gives you that that grander galactic feeling of victory um and again you know he knew coruscant was going to be a central location in the prequel trilogy and here he is making sure he can do it and he crushes it (laughs) um and it looks uh, really good it looks so good and you know we see them pull down a a statue of the emperor there's a stormtrooper giving us the wilhelm screen and the he's being tossed over people's shoulders in the foreground um but yeah it, it i've always felt like in an interesting way Getting that victory celebration, I feel like it it gives me the same spirit as when Threepio is telling our story to the Ewoks, right? Kind of just recapping everywhere we'd been, all the big locations we'd been. And the impact of these characters, the impact of the story that they've been committed to is so wonderful that it has a galactic impact. Um, I mean, I, I have always loved the inclusion of the other planets. I feel it's so good. And also I feel like it's in part why it was really hard to get behind the sequel trilogy. Cause that really felt like we won. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, yeah. so that's the only way it damned me, I guess was, you don't need any more stories. We won. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no,
2: I, I, obviously I was introduced to star Wars with this in it. Um and going back and finding out that it wasn't like that originally, and that we had yubnub as the music instead of the the new piece uh and it 's just more you know shots of of the ewoks and the Rebels celebrating it definitely made everything feel a lot smaller mm. when when I realized what it had been initially uh the the change here in special edition with the planets and the new music makes everything seem bigger, uh, more epic, uh, and and in my opinion, it is probably the best change that George made to the special editions. Um, is this one right here? Yeah, so.
1: it's my personal favorite is is the the galaxy tour, and on top of it, the change of music. Um, the victory celebration piece that John Williams rewrote again, love you. I've always loved Yubnub. will always love Yubnub. But this, again, just that music, there's something quite special to it. And, and the music itself like does have a little bit of a, uh, uh, and feel, if you will, um, because it, um, whoops, crap, the wrong track. Um, because you know, it's, it starts with kind of like woodwind instruments and, and, It has a little bit of, like, an Ewok feel to it, but then, yeah, it just becomes something else, and it feels so grand and so wonderful.
2: What the music does is it it feels like it starts on Endor, and then as we get to see all the planets, it's like we pick up the celebration of everyone else along the way in the music, because it goes from just, like, one guy singing a little bit in the background and a single like uh, recorder-type instrument um, doing the melody first. And then it just keeps adding as the melody repeats. Everything gets bigger. There's more people singing. There's more instruments playing. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger till we finally end up at the end every time the melody repeats. Um, and so it's like the galaxy is joining in. On this celebration that started on Endor, so it's a it's a fantastic piece that fits the scene perfectly.
1: So, yeah, I love the way you just broke that down. Absolutely, yeah, it does. It starts at our local locale, and then, um, and then you know the inclusion of the chorus in it is just is mm-hmm. so perfect, so beautiful, um. And there's a chorus, obviously, even in Yubnub, like towards the end, they, you know, they, they literally sing "Celebrate the Love." <laughs> Couldn't get any more on the nose. Um, <laughs> but this, this has this has a little bit more of a maturity to it, you know, if if you will, rather than the Um it, yeah. it, it also allows you to feel the cost of what it took to get here, right? Like that, it wasn't right. it wasn't just a, a a picnic in the park. Like there were some serious costs. Um, so yeah, I I love that piece. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So those are all like the major changes, but something that we also got with the special editions, which I think is still probably my favorite thing that came out of 97 was the soundtracks. Jason, those two booklet CD sets with every single piece of Star Wars music from each movie, essentially in chronological order. Plus, pieces of music that weren't even used in the movies. But then we have, you know, brilliant folks like David W. Collins who gave them to us, (laughs) recut, so you could see what they were like. Um, But yeah, I loved those two CD booklets that came out in conjunction with the special editions.
2: They are my copies of the soundtracks for these movies. Mm. Like, I've never owned anything else uh, for A New Hope, Empire, and Jedi. Uh, in terms of soundtracks, this is what I have, and I love it. And they've been on repeat in some way, shape, or form over the years. Ever since I acquired them, uh, I know them backwards and forwards. It's a lot, um, but <laughs> I, I I absolutely love it. It's it is the definitive uh soundtrack to these movies for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Yeah. So that's that's it's fantastic uh to have those because they are so good in my opinion. They're very, 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 very good.
1: Yeah. I love I mean, I loved just you know I mean the liner notes in there that again kind of describes each piece of them of the music, a little bit about them. Um uh yeah, uh I, I mean I just I've I've always loved the special edition logo. Again, like it's it's just a new hope. New Hope print with Luke holding the lightsaber, but how they did, uh, they did that on each of these covers, but A New Hope got gold, Empire got silver, Jedi got bronze. Um, So there was just like that little bit of embossing. I mean, it's, it's, I just love the look of those books. And um, I know I've told this story on the the show in the past, but yeah, like you, Jason, I mean, these were my definitive Star Wars soundtracks for years. And I shouldn't say for years, they still are. Like 25 years later, these are my uh, go-to Star Wars pieces to listen to. And I mean, I just have so many fond memories. (laughs) That summer of 97, essentially for the next several years, just laying out in the front yard with my CD player Walkman just circulating through those soundtracks as I was reading Star Wars books every (laughs) every day. Um, It was awesome.
2: to be fair, uh, I got the re-release of these um, in the early 2000s when those came out. So they, okay. re- they re-released them with new you know, uh, CDs and stuff, uh, cases and stuff. But the same music, just different design. So I didn't okay. have the full book. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, so, um, also with the special editions, each movie got a new poster, all all artwork by Drew Struzan. Um, and you... you put them all next to each other. It, it's kind of this triptych image. Um, I shared this on our Twitter the other day, but I'm sure most of you who are listening, are probably very familiar. What, what piece I'm talking about by Drew Struzan. Um, but yeah, it, it was just, I mean, this was a huge event. Um, they made uh, taco bell was doing, you know, toys in their food. I mean, the special editions had a huge marketing campaign. Um, and then it got even bigger, obviously with episode one, I feel like that was, debatably the biggest marketing campaign ever for star wars i don't know i feel like somebody out there probably knows that for sure i'm not that person but i feel like it might have been even i still feel like it was bigger than force awakens um i I, it was if it wasn't
2: bigger it was broader you know hmm. um I, i don't know you know the cost cost wise um but i think phantom menace definitely had the broadest scope of any sort of promotional campaign for any Star Wars movie period. Um it was just you couldn't escape it. And I loved every minute
1: of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Um Yeah, well and like if, if thinking, you know, so like now looking back twenty-five years later, you know, I think the special editions they kind of represent the importance of Star Wars. Like, I don't know, just kind of getting reinvigorated into pop culture again. And um, I don't want to be like this mopey old Star Wars fan here, but I, I there is still a part of me that that misses the days when Star Wars wasn't always an immediate release thing. Right. Like, I mean, tomorrow's Book of Boba Fett again. And then, you know, we, we had we had five movies in four years. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I don't love it. Of course I do. But the special editions, again, like there hadn't been a Star Wars movie in theaters in nearly 20, 20 years. And so, like, it just it gave you this excitement that, like, yeah, I still get excited about Star Wars things every time. I'm super excited to get up and watch Book of Boba Fett tomorrow, but it's not the same. And and again, this isn't I'm not trying to be like that crotchety old old man. Um, but, well, you know, I think that's that's what the special edition kind of represents to me is it was this It was just this reminder of, of how much we need Star Wars stories, um, and uh yeah, I just uh, you know um, also the reality that star wars is it's a it's a dynamic, not static story, right? I think George made a precedent all the way back in ninety seven that said, nothing in Star Wars is written in stone. things can change mm. things can you know, uh, ebb and flow things. There's a fluidity to these stories that's important to telling future stories. And I think that is such a, like, awesome thing for us to to be reminded of. And I think it's a thing we, today in Star Wars fandom, so 25 years later, what can we learn from the special editions? Again, a reminder to let Star Wars breathe, to let Star Wars be dynamic, not static, right? I think that's where it. it I feel like at the, we talked about this, obviously, in the episode. The special editions were the first big controversial thing in Star Wars. Well, that's unfortunately continuing to plague fandom. And it's I think the lesson we still haven't learned 25 years later is that we get so set in our ways and we think of Star Wars as this static story that was told and it's done. And it's just that's just not the way I think George saw Star Wars. 25 years ago. And I think that's the way they still interpret star Wars today. I don't think like, I don't think Disney's ever going to do a special edition of the original six movies. I really don't think they would do that. Um, but uh, if George owned the company still, there might be. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, it is kind of a wonderful thing that George was doing in 97 was, he was just trying to say for him. And again, that clip I played about him where he was talking about it, these were stories that he wanted to change. There were things he wanted to make different um, for him. You know, in his mind, an artist is never fully done with their work because in George's mind, an artistic piece is something that's always speaking. And I think that that's a really wonderful thing. Um, you know, that's how I've always understood scripture. Scripture is it's a living, breathing Story. Uh, It it needs to constantly be reimagined and reinterpreted. The Constitution is a living, breathing document that a lot of Americans like to think is a static thing, Um, right? Like there is an importance to dynamism in stories, and George told us that 25 years ago, and a lot of people didn't like it, and a lot of people loved it. (laughs) So,
2: yeah, the the special editions are are definitely a period where uh, of of Star Wars fandom and excitement and uh, reinvigoration that is unique. It's never going to be co- seen again. Um, and those of us who got to experience uh, experience it, um, I think should be, be uh, grateful because it was an exciting time. It was fantastic. Uh, it was one of those things where uh, you couldn't... Catch lightning in a bottle twice with Star Wars in terms of the original 1977 release and then this. But the special edition got about as close to catching that same lightning in a bottle as anything has ever done with any franchise, in my opinion. So, uh, it, it reinvigorated, um, the, the fandom, it brought Star Wars to the forefront of pop culture and shot it into the stratosphere for the prequels to take it from there. Um, and Star Wars hasn't really stopped since then. So yeah. uh, without the special editions, we wouldn't have Book of Boba Fett tomorrow night.
1: So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a big statement, but yeah, I get what you're, I get where you're going. Um, But that is a good point, Jason. I mean, I think in 25 years ago with the special editions, Star Wars jumped back into popular culture in a way that it hadn't been for nearly 20 years. And it never really went, it's, I I would, yeah, I I would almost argue it's never really gone away since 97. It's always been there, you know, because as soon as the special editions came out, they really started amping up conversations about the prequels are right around the corner. And then we got the prequels. Um, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of a a silent period before the sale to Disney Um, because Clone Wars Clone Wars was huge for Star Wars fans, but it wasn't huge in pop culture. Um, So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Uh, (laughs) George took the pulse 25 years ago and determined, yes, indeed, Star Wars is still a story people are going to come see. And it is. Yep. So there you go. I think uh I think I just I love I love the special edition so much. Um and I loved having this conversation. Yeah.
2: Me too. It was it was a nice trip down memory lane. Uh revisiting all those old moments of my introduction to Star Wars. So
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I just I I really wish they would re-release the movies in theaters again, um, like do like a theatrical run. I mean, I know they've they've done like you can find movies, you know, you can find it occasionally. Like I got to see Empire to drive in last summer, um, you know, which was really cool. And they do things like that, you know, where you can go to the movies at the um, uh, the symphony or something. Yeah. So there's yeah. they do find ways to do it, but it would just be fun for them to be like, we're doing a theatrical. Release, you know, of of all nine movies, you know, one a month for the next nine months, like that'd be awesome.
2: So yeah, well, in five years it'll be the fiftieth anniversary of the New Hope. I wouldn't be surprised if we do
1: something then. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so cool. Um, yeah, well, you know, be before we wrap up. Obviously, if there's if if any of you listening, you know, want to share some of your memories about the special editions. Uh, We'd love to hear them.
2: Yes, please. Uh, You know, were you one of those who saw it in 1977 and then got to re-experience Star Wars again in 1997? Or were you like me and experienced Star Wars for the very, very first time um, with the special editions? We'd like to know. Um, I think that's... It's always fun to get those stories... Uh, from you guys so we we do appreciate when you guys tell them so please do indeed uh, and Carl if people want to weigh in on anything we've discussed or anything else involving Star Wars where can people get a hold of us
1: uh, well we are on Twitter at WampasLair and you can follow us on Instagram at TheWampasLair you can always email us at WampasLairPodcast at gmail.com
2: excellent Anything else you want to say, Carl, before we uh, wrap this up?
1: I, you know, I just I do want to say just like how special the special editions are. Like, I loved them. Yes. I can't believe it's been 25 years. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just wild. Uh, I love Star Wars, Jason.
2: I love Star Wars too, <laughs> Carl. Uh, and thank you everyone so much for listening to this special edition of the Wampus Lair podcast <laughs> um <laughs> this has been episode number 452 special edition 25th anniversary for carl i'm jason and we'll see you next time here in the wampas lair